0: Hi I'm Sean. I'm Shane.
1: And welcome to our podcast Film Class in which every week we discuss a different film, television programme or other form of popular culture that is concerned with teaching and teachers and education. I'm a newly qualified English teacher
0: and I am a not so newly qualified science teacher.
1: We'd love to hear your opinions on the films that we discuss as well so please do find us on Twitter at Film Class Pod and the same handle on Instagram. Today we're discussing a very different film to last week. Similar era. This is like late 80s. And I, I think this might be Like if you said to someone, name a film about a teacher. I feel like this would be the number one film people say. Which I think is problematic for a number of reasons. I mean, this might be the least diverse film I've ever seen. <laughs> Not just that it's just entirely white men and boys, but they all look identical. It took me so long to work out which boy was which, because they all have the exact same like preppy haircut, they all wear the same uniforms. I think it might have been a deliberate choice to Mm. make them look so similar, but legitimately, like, I mean, there's a few girls in the film, but they don't really get much to do. There doesn't seem to be any female teachers. It's a very white male film, right?
0: We haven't actually said what the film is.
1: So the film is Dead Poets Society.
0: I'm going to counteract what you said, In terms of, it's not the first film that I think of when people say teachers. I'd never heard of it. Really? Um,
1: See, I was shown this film in school by my economics teacher, which is... And I never... Because, you know, when you get shown a film in school and you only get to see the first hour, because that's all your lesson is, I had never seen the second half of this film, which i mean we will discuss is incredibly dark and depressing yeah which i was not ready for and i remember i think i saw it in maybe year nine year ten and i really did not like it i was like this is very patronizing i was just like this is just trash i don't like this at all it's i i feel like maybe i'm wrong maybe we can put that out to our our considerable twitter following literal tens of people <laughs> Is this the film you think of when you think of the film about teaching? Because I thought maybe because it got nominated for so many Oscars and stuff
0: Mm -hmm. and because
1: it's Robin Williams and all of that.
0: I I think given that it's a a film from the late 80s, 1989, um, it's definitely a little bit more ahead of its time. Most certainly it was very much chalk and talk in the 80s and the 70s and the 80s and teaching methods were very um, traditional you wouldn't have such creativity. And we'll talk about some of the methods that he uses later on. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I can imagine that because he'd used such different methods and he had inspired boys, you know, so for what it was, I can imagine that actually, yeah, people in the media decided to give give it some credit for what it was trying to do.
1: Yeah, and I think, I, I mean, I'm not sure I'm not a Robin Williams expert, but I feel like this might have been the first film that he he gave like a dramatic performance rather mm-hmm. than a comedic performance. Yeah. So it's a bit like Eternal Sunshine or Truman Show for Jim Carrey. Yeah. It was him showing off his chops a little bit. Yeah. I might be wrong because maybe Good Morning Vietnam was before this, now I'm thinking about it. But it's def- it was definitely one of his transitional films, right? Where he became like a full-blown film star. I mean, what is your relationship and history with Robin Williams? Because like, as with Whoopi Goldberg, like one of the deities of my childhood.
0: Yeah, personally. very much though, so uh the comedy aspect, Mrs. Doubtfire, Flubber. And you know, if you'd asked me growing up who would be my favourite actor, I would have mentioned Robin Williams at some point. Um but as we know with all things that are favourite things things change. And I think I mentioned in last week's episode everything seems to be your favourite song.
1: <laughs> no, to be fair, we're in a very specific era now where I was a very impressionable age, yeah. right? And like, Whoopi Goldberg and Robin Williams are probably the biggest film stars of the early 90s, right? When I was first, you know, watching the first films yeah. that I knew, I was watching them over and over again. So I watched Mrs. Datvaire a million times. I watched Aladdin a million times. Mm. But I do, he, he's definitely, he's in this film less than I thought he was going to be, considering it. it's like yes. one of his big Oscar-baity films. They Absolutely. do give the kids more screen time than i was expecting mm. so the other thing we should probably mention is that although it was made in 1989 it's set in 1959 which i do yeah. think is quite important and so this was set in an era in american culture like pre-jfk assassination pre-watergate where these boys in this uh pre- is it preparatory school or prep yeah. school um very much they're all white upper middle class and they're all expected, you know, to go to Ivy League schools yeah. to become the future leaders of America mm. and uh, so there's a, this image at the very beginning. Uh, did, did you see, notice the light of knowledge they're given? Yes. A ceremony in the school yes. which I thought was quite a nice image because although it's passed to them from one of the teachers in the school, they then pass it to each other which I think is quite a nice image that it's not just top down but they also share the knowledge among each other. Yes. You could interpret yep, it that absolutely. way. But it's very much, you know, you are the future inheritors of America because you are the young, white, middle-class men who we expect to be our leaders, mm. which very much comes from, I think, a time in American culture where that was not something that was challenged. This is pre-feminism, this is yeah. pre-civil rights movement, pre-all of that. There aren't
0: um, actually that many women in the film at all. No. So yeah.
1: I mean, we'll come to the fact... I mean, there are four main boys, and I really hate one of the boys, and I think he's such a misogynist, but we'll come to that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting link with Sister Act 2 as well is it's in this prep school, very stuffy, very upper upper-middle-class... And the teacher, Robin Williams, is Mr. John Keating. And he, as with Whoopi Goldberg, went to that school, right? So he went to the school. And rather than going on to this great career in... Um, academia or politics he decides to come back to the school and that's almost seen as like showing that he's a great person because mm. he's decided to sacrifice his great earning potential for teaching which is I think mean, it's kind of an old-fashioned idea of teaching as like charity work.
0: It's funny you should mention that I think we've got a very different view of what a teacher is and how a teacher is depicted in the West from from you know the people who I know who grew up in um, Southeast Asian countries they they depict their teachers as these high mem- high levels of society members of uh, the community and um, they're, they're given the utmost respect and people will go out their way to gift them things just for, on a daily basis and you know it's an honour and a privilege to have them over for dinner. Um, I, I really do think that the West don't give teachers the same amount of respect that people do in the East. Mm. Um, the people in the East, they, they see teachers as this fountain of knowledge um, and that knowledge, you know, earns the teachers a lot of respect. Mm. Um, so it, it would be interesting actually in the future to probably look at some films where there are teachers in like maybe an India setting or something yeah, that'll like that. Yeah,
1: that would be so interesting. That's a really good point. Immediately you get a sense of what this school represents and they, they immediately establish these four pillars, tradition, honour, discipline, excellence. But the boys have this thing where they turn that on their head and they have this weird like alternative code of travesty, horror, decadence, excrement, which is just so edgy white boy. <laughs> so edgy <laughs> white boy. So we get this new kid played by Ethan Hawke who looks very very small in this film this is like very very early ethan hawke todd anderson and they're all automatically really horrible to him for some reason <laughs> don't really know why he has that like nerdy well-meaning yeah, energy but, but his
0: brother's already been through the school so there's already uh-huh. high expectations set on him yeah um and i think his brother was well known as well so yeah. as a result i think people are already giving him a bit of jib about the fact that you know his brother was this quite popular, and uh-huh. I think he might have been a bit of an extrovert. So therefore, that expectation—he's not—he's not meeting them, off, is he? Yeah, he's and quite he does and, and keeps himself to himself.
1: Yeah, I mean, masculine is such a huge theme in this film, and we'll talk about this later when they have their society. It's like they do everything in their power that to make sure that the fact that they're meeting alone to read poetry does not seem in any way gay whatsoever. They're not definitely not gay in any way whatsoever. This is very very. Uh, they they keep trying to perform being macho, right? And mm. he's not very good at that. Todd is just this kind of like shy, yeah. sweet kid, and so they are kind of hazed. him. Um, would you teach in a school like this? I've seen this when I was watching it. I don't think I could teach in a school like um,
0: this. Well, given given my own educational experience, I've I've always said that I wouldn't teach in uh, gender specific or. A grammar school. In a
1: school in which there is only one gender, or supposedly only one gender, policing of things like being gay or being trans or non-binary or whatever is more stringent because... it it, it's a space in which so you see that in this film a lot i think is that all the boys really want to come across as masculine Mm -hmm. even and especially in this context where they're stepping out of that comfort zone a little bit Mm -hmm. they're enjoying poetry they're being creative they're not doing stereotypically male things it becomes even more important that Mm -hmm. space to make to try and make out that they're only doing this to get girls and that's the only reason you would ever do this it's not for your own creative expression um so, the other thing we should mention as well, this is a film that does not pass the Bechdel test, right? It's, a, it's a, kind of a baseline of a fe- whether or not a film can be seen as feminist. And it, it's, it's, not, it's not really, if you pass the Bechdel test, it doesn't mean your film is good. It, it, to pass it, you basically have to have two named female characters who have a scene in which they discuss something other than a man. And if the film does not contain that, it can't pass the Bechdel test. And the, the point of it is to show that very few mainstream Hollywood films ever pass this test, okay. notoriously. Sister Act 2 does pass it. Yeah. Right? Because we have like, Rita and her mother discussing her future aspirations. Yeah. Rita and Dolores. Discuss- this film does not pass the test. There are no scenes when, in the When When did two that come
0: characters. into
1: place then? A really famous comic called Dykes to Watch Out for, <laughs> and two characters to girls on a date discuss this test and from that it became quite a popular thing. It was really just a baseline to show how few Hollywood films actually meet that criteria Mm -hmm. and still to this day there's not a lot of films that actually pass that test. Okay.
0: Um.
1: So, yeah.
0: Sorry, when you were saying when did it come into place?
1: So she came up with that in like the mid-90s but it became... A, a kind of talking point. I'd say maybe like 10 or so years ago when there was more online feminism. Mm. Um, and certainly in the last five years, it's become more more of a known concept. Mm. It might be something interesting for us to think about going forward. Does the film pass the bet out or not? Because yeah, no, no, this no. one doesn't even have any characters who aren't white, let alone any female characters of any significance whatsoever. Mm.
0: There's just that one girlfriend incident. Yeah. And I feel like that was a token gesture. Absolutely. Uh, I, I don't even feel like that storyline held anything.
1: Yeah. We see this. the corridor is a little bit unruly. Did you notice uh, a little strategy? I noticed the teacher goes to the corridor, said to the kids, slow down, you horrible phalanx of pubescence, which is such a posh insult.
0: <laughs> One thing that did strike me, though, is when he walked in and it was just that typical silence of a new teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. So
1: before we see him, We have the very similar, like, we're going to see this montage so many times. The Latin, the boring Latin lesson where it's rote, the boring trigonometry lesson where it's like, you must hand in your homework or you're going to get a point off your final, blah, blah, blah. blah. So it's like, it's almost like these films have to show you a shorthand that this is a good teacher by showing that everyone else in the school is terrible at teaching. Mm -hmm. It's like they're exceptional. It's like they always have to be the exceptional one in the school. So then Rob Williams comes in, he's a new teacher, and he has a very interesting hook where he comes in, he whistles, he leaves, and they're all like, what is happening? And then yeah. he just says, "Come on!" I made it. Now, if I tried this in my school, I feel like there would be pandemonium.
0: I yeah. don't feel like this I would stress them out the so much. Yeah. Would you ever try this? No, simple as <laughs> no.
1: So I, mean, I like the idea. I do. I think it's quite a good hook in a school where you know they'd be able to handle it, maybe. Mm. But but it's very disruptive, right? Like mm. deliberately disruptive. He's showing with this gesture that he's very disruptive as a teacher um he also he i mean his first lesson i think he did a lot of things that i mean i'm a novice but there are a lot of things that i would never do he asks them like really closed questions and like he just says like do you know this so he says oh captain my captain who knows where that came from and no one knows and he's just like not a clue <laughs> it's just like but if they yeah. don't know you shouldn't shame them for that
0: so the the thing about robin williams in this film is he's depicted as a newly qualified teacher. Um, it may even be his first teaching job. Uh, job, you know.
1: He also um, does this other thing when he asks. He asks. So he asks him a question. A kid gives an answer, and he says, "No, ding. Thank you for playing anyway." Which I think is so rude.
0: It is. <laughs> but then maybe that's his new creative way of teaching. And but um,
1: that's just if you're asking a kid a question and they don't know the answer. He's essentially mocking them, right? And, and they kind of—it seems like it sort of works in his classroom. So they you've sort of never said his to a kid
0: when you asked a question and they like looked at you blankly. You've gone, like, you don't know what friction is. Let's say, for example.
1: No, I don't think I have. I don't think I have.
0: See, I'd get to a certain point, and I would expect that every kid has heard the word friction before right? Uh-huh. So let's say I'm teaching a year 10 class and they, they they act like they've never heard that word. It can't be that in a whole class of 30, not a single one has heard the word friction.
1: Oh, so you would expand it to the whole class?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So... Okay, I, so I can see that, yeah, because then you're farming knowledge out. But I, I think he does put them, he puts them on, I get, and maybe what he's doing here maybe is a strategy to assess mm. what they know. I just think it was a little uh, a little blunt. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I I guess, you know, he has a good manner. He's obviously kind of joking with them. And maybe he's been at that school and he knows that they'll like that sort of humour because it Mm -hmm. does seem to get them on his side. So the reason he takes them out of the classroom is to go and look at all the old alumni photos that the school is scattered with, right? And it's to get them used to this idea of carpe diem, seize the day. Yeah. Um, and I like that. He's using the school environment, right? He's he's making them notice something in their environment they haven't really noticed before. And they do seem interested. They seem engaged by it. Um, although you do then see Cameron. I think the boy Cameron is like, is he going to test us on this? Yeah. Well, and all the other kids are mocking him. So it's very much outside of their comfort zone.
0: So basically, he's obviously done something that's different. It's quirky. It's innovative, right? And it comes back to this idea. Do kids expect younger teachers to be outside of the box? I mean... I remember one student just blatantly telling me that they didn't want to try an activity and they just wanted to know, you know, just what the answer was. Mm. They just wanted me to lecture. But I kind of got the impression that they were so fed up of having younger, newer teachers trying new activities with them Mm -hmm. to the point where... They just didn't care about it.
1: That's interesting. So in this school, that doesn't seem the issue, right? It seems they have a lot of old, fusty teachers who do things the same way every time and it's very disengaging. And so they're almost thirsty for this fresh blood, right? Someone Mm. who's a bit more engaging. He then, in the next lesson we see, uh, introduced them to the Pritchard scale. I've never seen literary criticism like this. So the idea is... It's like applying maths to poetry almost. And so they have a scale, right? Mm -hmm. And they mark the poem based on perfection and importance. And the higher up the grade it is, the better the poem is. And I feel like this is a little bit of a straw man because I don't think there is any literary criticism that would approach poetry in such a... Um, yeah i just don't think that really exists Mm. so it kind of establishes that to make him seem so dynamic in Mm. contrast to this and so he gets them to tear all their pages out which again pandemonium absolute if you tried this
0: i would definitely get a kid who would tear up the entire book and go i didn't know where to stop me i feel like if i ever tried to pull anything like that where I tell them you know oh that is wrong I suppose with science it's very difficult for that to happen because it's either right or wrong right and it's unusual for it to be in a textbook wrong so but I can imagine if I did say to a student I don't know evolution I don't believe in it rip it out um, it's not true I, I can feel the consequences being pretty severe on myself. And also, it's. Um, it's
1: I think it could be quite embarrassing for them because the whole lesson, he kind of leads... So you see them all enthusiastically annotating it and taking it quite seriously. Yeah. And then it's like, he's like, how stupid you think that is? Rip it out. And so it's almost like they're made to feel foolish just for following what they should be doing, which yeah. is listening to him. And I, I'm not quite sure about the, how he goes trust. about this. I, I feel yeah. like he hasn't earned their trust. Yeah, exactly. But it's it, like it he tricks it. them.
0: It depicts it in a way that actually they like the fact that they're ripping out these pages. Can I ask a question about the whole fact that when he starts to really get into it, nearly every single boy in that class is really into poetry. Yeah. That did not feel, for any time era, that did not feel to me like a very typical portrayal of interest in poetry. Could you imagine taking a Robin Williams method, going into school in September, teaching like he was teaching, and having a whole class full of boys falling head over heels in love with poetry?
1: I think poetry has the opportunity to be one of the most engaging parts of English, but it tends to be the... It's notorious for being the part that kids enjoy the least. Mm. It requires a specific reading stance that I think, unless kids are trained to do it, they can just find it quite perplexing.
0: How long do you think it would take you to, to... Gauge the interest of at least, let's say, half the class.
1: I don't... I think it depends... I think that's hard to say. I really like teaching poetry. I think poetry is quite... Because what I like about poetry is you can do a poem in a lesson, and it's short, and it's snappy, and I think also, poetry is easy for kids to just have a go at at writing and produce something, right? And play around with it. And the time investment You can play with poetry. The time
0: investment is it quite small. Yeah. It just... uh, I guess for me, whilst I was watching the film, the film's so long, uh-huh. but within one lesson, he's got them hooked on poetry. Yeah. I'm like, if you're going to invest that much time in a in, in film, at least show the journey to getting there. But they, they, they unrealistically made it. One lesson, bang. Well
1: let's, well, let's not forget, how does he get them to think poetry is cool because he tells them about the society they used to yeah. have, the Dead Boat Society, and, and they, what is the sell point? Women swooned. <laughs> That's the selling point.
0: I don't think it was his intention for them to find out about Dead Poets Society. And I'll tell you why. It, they, they found out about it because they went and looked at the yearbooks. Like, I mean, I, I can't oh, imagine. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I can't right. imagine my school ever keeping a copy of all the yearbooks from years years That's ago. That's the thing
1: that happens in America. a lot. They'll go to the library yeah. and find all um, yearbooks. Maybe they must do that. That would be quite cool, wouldn't it, to look for yeah. old yearbooks?
0: um so they've got like a record of all their students and gdpr i can't i can't imagine it would it would be a case now (laughs) but um no so yeah they 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 stumble on it by accident so it wasn't even his intention for them to find out about the dead poet society so the fact that they stumbled upon it was it even his teaching that gauged their interest Mm. or was it this this sheer novel fact that they could go away and and, and, and do something off site and break some rules at the same time and. And actually uh-huh. do something like that.
1: I mean, yeah, you're right. You are right. I've misremembered that. You are absolutely right. But immediately, did you notice as well? They're like, "This is going to help you get Chris, who is the girl one of them's interested yeah. in." One of things I think was quite sweet. I think is quite, sweet, and I think it's quite unusual in films about like teenage boys is that so one of the characters meets this girl Chris, and he goes and tells his friends like, "I've just seen the most beautiful girl. I can't just forget her." And he's very open about the fact that he like he loves her basically, and he's mm-hmm. very romantically attracted to mm-hmm. her. Um, and one of them asked him, like, did you see her naked? And he's not really interested in that kind of conversation. Yeah. It's quite sweet in a way. It is very innocent it's, and
0: it's very, and it, it, it keeps it clean, doesn't it? Yeah. But, but I then I just... uh, do you think that's, that's more typical of the time that. The film was made where, you know, it wasn't a case of sex cells. It's more of a case of... I don't know.
1: I think we tend to idealise the past. I think sex is always sold. But it, it, it really struck me, though, that as soon as they find out about this, this society that these boys used to have, where they used to go and read poetry and write poetry and read to each other, it's really important we understand this is definitely not gay in any mm-hmm. way. This is just help us get girls. We're definitely not gay for doing this. It's not gay, right, to read poetry together on our own, right? Like, it's like they have to instil in each other immediately that that's a boundary they do mm-hmm. not want to cross. So they they decide to start this Dead Poet Society, um, which is where they're going to read poetry and write poetry and read to each other. There is a there's a scene as well, right, where so Todd we see is very self-conscious in lessons and he doesn't want to read and he doesn't want to read in front of the others. And I feel like both the kids, but also the teacher, is quite cruel to him, I feel like, and they sort of shame him for being embarrassed and a bit sheepish about being so shy. And I think, again, this is something I always forget now as a teacher. I hated reading in classes and i was very self-conscious and yet now i I think you just forget that when you're older you forget that for some kids it's actually just really difficult to just speak in front of other people
0: you're right we do forget as teachers sometimes you know those those outside factors and we talked about it in the last podcast about you know um sometimes we do overlook the issues that might be beneath their resistance and their reluctancy Mm. um and you know, I'm sure that we can all say that we've all been guilty of it at some point. Um, but what I, I did like that scene actually was one of my favourite scenes um, in the film. And whilst I know you're, you're thinking he was, he was a bit rude and aggressive. Mm-hmm. I think he was just passionate. I think his passion for poetry really came through. Robin Williams' passion for poetry really came through. Oh, so this through. is
1: the scene, sorry, it's into context. This is the scene where he forces Todd to stand upright. Yeah. And it's almost like he's like a shaman getting this poetry yeah. out of him. I don't know about it. I thought this would have traumatised the kid if you did this Really? Drill. No, <laughs> I found it
0: inspiring. I really did. He was so passionate about it. He was piecing the story together. And it was almost like, see, you can do this and you will do this, and you just need to be a little bit more, believe in yourself more, and I don't think we do that enough with our young people, uh... where we promote them... To, to, to believe in themselves
1: more. I agree with you. I think the ethos of it is good, but he says in front of all the other kids in the class that Ch- Todd thinks everything inside of him is worthless and embarrassing. I mean, relatable content, but also like you can't say that in front of the rest of the class. That's, that's I'd feel so embarrassed if I was a self-conscious kid and a teacher said, you think everything inside of yourself is worth and embarrassing. And I know he's getting to the journey point of that's not true. You yeah. are capable of so much more. But I, I, think it's he's lucky his works. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm saying. This, this, this could true. have gone.
0: This, yeah, bad you're absolutely it. right, and I, and I'm sure there's teachers out there who was thinking, you know, actually. I've tried it and it's gone completely horribly wrong.
1: Because one of the things, so we've, we skipped over before this lesson where he, so he gets Charlie to, is it your? He gets him to Europe and, yeah. Europe and Europe and your, and then does, but before that he does like a sports lesson, which I think is a classic example of a lesson with no learning that looks fun and so, and looks dynamic. Yeah. What is the point of this lesson? Yeah. What is I mean, the, so they're outside and the, what are they doing? They're shouting out lines of a poem, right? Yeah. But there's no attention to the rhythm or the meter. And were they or... given,
0: like, lines to read out? Was uh, yeah. It, was it they picked it out? Yeah, but hands?
1: it just seems like he's grained them and how loud they can shout. So he boos the kids that are not confident, yeah. which I don't think is a great way to make the unconfident kids more confident, I can't
0: lie. Yeah, but we're also, you know... much you a know, sensitive in, self. <laughs> you know, instant feedback and all that jazz. And...
1: I mean, he calls one of them a twerp and asks Todd if he's a man or an amoeba. We have to talk about Charlie. Charlie is the worst.
0: Charlie changes his name, doesn't
1: he? Did you hear what he changes his name to? He changes his name to Noanda. I feel like if this was 2020, Charlie would be called the coloniser on Twitter. <laughs> I felt like he, that he definitely would He certainly
0: wouldn't be able to get away with it, would he? He's very interested
1: in non-white cultures and appropriating them for his own
0: yeah, coolness. And, and the thing I suppose that's annoying about this whole situation is that there isn't anyone... Who is of colour to put him in his place? Yes, um, and I, I I suppose just just like in Sister Act, how there was always that challenging character of you know you're you're taking our culture, you're taking our identity. Um, they could have easily put a, a a a black boy or an Asian boy, or you know just to just to make that chat challenging. Um, but I guess again, of films of its time. Would that be even one of their worries
1: or concerns? Yeah, we're, de- we're looking at this film from the lens of 2020, and I'm, I suppose people probably weren't concerned. I mean, clearly weren't concerned about mm. these sorts of issues, but I guess that's why it's important to have more diverse people in films, making films, writing films, because mm, you know, this is a film by a white man, written by a white man, with an entirely white male cast mm. in which they haven't thought about the fact that a white kid calling himself No Wonder to bongo drums is like not cool mm. <laughs> or, or okay. Exactly.
0: Anyway.
1: Um, So, I mean, the other thing about Charlie is he is a massive misogynist. So he's the one who introduces the girls into the Dead poet Society. Um, And did you notice he tricks them? So he reads very famous lines from Shakespeare and Byron, making out he's written it, and the girls fall for it, and they're very It's Like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. Mm. And I feel like the joke is on them in that scene. It's like, they don't know these really famous poems, and so Mm. they seem idiotic. And it really, it portrays that this is very much a male space, right? That they don't really get to participate in. They can be read to... But they're not to participate.
0: I'm going to be honest with you here. Go on. If someone recited Shakespeare to me,
1: Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know. But the the point isn't that they don't know, I don't think. The point is more so that all the boys in that group do know, and they know that the girls are being mocked essentially for not knowing, right? So the fact that that they're being pulled over. It's not an obscure poem, it's a pretty famous Shakespeare sonnet, I think, that he reads. So even if you didn't know that, the joke, it, it's being performed for the other lads, isn't it? He wants the other lads to know, look, I'm putting a fast one on these girls, and they're falling for it. So they look foolish.
0: Okay, this um, is probably where I need to say to you that you have a phd in english <laughs> literature i have a physics degree yeah. if i started quoting stephen Hawking to you you probably might not know either
1: <laughs> i might not but no but that's the but the point is you wouldn't say oh i wrote this thing in my diary the other day it's really profound and read me stephen hawkins in front of your other science friends so that i look stupid for not knowing he kind of presumes that they're not going to know and is right and he does it To to kind of show to the other boys watching, look, you can pull one over on girls with a cheap line from Shakespeare and they aren't going to know. What I wanted to happen in that scene is one of the girls be like, I know that's from Shakespeare, like, I'm not impressed by this, right? I wanted one of the, and you don't know. Which in 2020, there would have been. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like they're dupes, and I didn't really like how that came across. But do you think that Um, they,
0: they, they would have respected him more for duping the girls in that time?
1: I think it, it's very much an, it's an ego thing, right? Because he, he whispers, you know, it's in that scene to the lads, they, they need to have girls here so they can stop beating off. That's what he says. So the girls are basically there to satisfy them sexually. And this is also around the same point where another character goes to the party. Charlie. No, not Charlie. Uh, it's the other boy who goes to the party. The one who's Peter. in love with... Um, Chris. Chris. Yeah. She falls asleep and he starts kissing and stroking her. Because that's how he interprets "carpe diem." Yeah, which is not great.
0: <laughs> it's not great, but again, you know, society for the longest time—if you really want someone, you know, in that way, just go for it, right? That's what people have always been encouraged to do and and behave.
1: Well, it's like it's interesting, right? Because he doesn't. Do, again, I find this quite annoying. In the what I wanted, so he he go he does this to Chris, this girl he's in love with. He gets beaten up by Chet, right, the jock kid, which I thought was deserved because this she's the girl's asleep and
0: you're being weird. But um, that's not why he was doing it. He was doing it because she's his possession, and he yes, violated she... that. So he wasn't doing it in a women's rights. Movement. No, I'm not saying that he is. He but was I'm saying in doing that of hands off my girl. That is mine, not yours to touch in any shape or form. So it was like male male ego top level.
1: I I completely agree with you. I'm not saying that he was doing it because he's a progressive feminist, but I am saying I <laughs> Imagine feel like if we
0: got that wrong <laughs> and he was and he was years ahead of his time.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying I feel like if you touch an unconscious girl at a party and someone sees you, I feel like I'm not gonna be too upset if they punch you for doing so. <laughs> yeah, in the
0: fifties maybe not so much you would probably blame the girl
1: for uh-huh. falling asleep. Well this is so what frustrated me I guess is that then chris forgives him right and what i I thought this is such a common theme in films is that boys are overbearing to girls you know he's very overbearing with chris he essentially stalks her he won't leave her alone he touches her and and it's like she interprets that as oh he must really like me and then goes out with him and i thought that is not a great but some
0: people find find that find that attractive don't they that persistence that not giving up that, you know.
1: But I feel like we should stop suggesting to boys that creepy persistence is a good strategy to get girls. <laughs> I
0: really but feel what, like we'd stop Okay, that. so we're talking from an education setting. What examples would these boys have had, especially in a single-sex school, and this is another reason why I potentially don't agree with them anymore. What What examples would they have had to to tell them that that's not okay?
1: Well, if you think about it, that's a really good point, because I, can't, I forgot more Williams' than name already. I just want to call him Robin Williams. Um, because he, I feel like he's very... He validates that laddish culture, right? Uh, we did this to woo women, and that's why you get to know poetry, because you yeah. can really impress the girls. Yeah. And so it's almost instigating that kind of a culture, right? But and I this- don't
0: think he did. I think he's just trying to buy the boys... Um- respect basically but he that's knows, a cheap way to do yeah, that right he knows what teenage boys are after he knows that these particular boys may be into you know wanting to get, start courting back in the day as they would have called it so i think he's just literally trying to tap in like it was clear from his yearbook that he was a complete nerd and probably not into girls and probably didn't woo girls okay he doesn't talk about there being a significant other um as a teacher and That's a good I, point. He has no romantic I, I, interest, does yeah, he? He, has I, no, he
1: seems to have no life outside the classroom. Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. So I, I, I think, you know, for the boys to behave the way that they did, they didn't, and, you know, even t- today, if you're in that environment, unless you've got clear, prominent role models on how... Society expects you to behave, or or have what's right or wrong. Then it is very hard to not go down the wrong path.
1: Yeah, and I, do you know? I think one thing that he maybe could have did, So that scene where Chris kind of where he go turns up at Chris's school. She says like, "You don't even know me. How can you know me? You don't even know me." And I think that's so true. It's and it's something that I think men do a lot. I mean, I'm being very honest here. Is that they're in love with this idealized version of a girl that is like putting her on a pedestal that. And a real human being can never live up to, right? Like this ideal of what a girl should be. And she can't live up to that because he doesn't actually know her at all. He's just Mm -hmm. seen her, fancies her, and he's decided who she is and that he's in love with that, Mm -hmm. right? And maybe if...
0: He's wrote her narrative. Exactly. So
1: maybe if he taught them poems by women rather than Byron and Shakespeare, or poems that or subject matter that considers a female perspective... But
0: then literature, Bronte and um, Austin. They they weren't favoured literature people back then, were they?
1: Uh, Austen's pretty canonical. I would say Austen and Bronte are pretty much part mm. of the canon. I would but they, so. they,
0: they wouldn't. They wouldn't have been that. They first don't have choice. the status of
1: Byron or Shakespeare. I would agree with that definitely. The canon is very well I'm There's no denying that. Mm. And I mean, Austen and Bronte are probably some of the few women in you know the
0: canon. I remember actually um, doing a book by George Eliot,
1: um, mm-hmm.
0: Silas Minor. When I was at school.
1: Oh wow, that's a pretty high level. It's book. really, really good. I, I, I love
0: like George Eliot. Are you surprised? Are you surprised that I remember it as well?
1: I've never. No, 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 no. I just. <laughs> I'm just surprised they did George Eliot in a uh, secondary well, school. Well, this is
0: it. The, the the shocking, the most shocking factor for me is finding out George Eliot's a woman.
1: Mm, yeah. And Marion something or other. I
0: Oh. I'm ashamed to say that I can't remember her actual name, <laughs> but the fact that she, she, you know, that to me was my, my English teacher introducing to us a really strong female writer going under a man's pen name. Mm-hmm. And that was when I, I think I, I first realised that actually women struggle to be as great as men. And I was, I was in year nine. I was so fourteen.
1: When you say, do you mean that they struggled to be seen as, quote, to yeah, be seen I think as I, geniuses?
0: I, I, I think I, up until that point, I would have very much grown up to believe that we were all equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she said, you know, male authors weren't given, um, female authors, sorry, weren't given the same respect as male authors, and so female authors would change their names to have male names. It's, it struck a chord with me because, obviously, as a woman, you then start to explore this idea that actually, what if whatever field I do go into, I'm not respected the same as my male counterparts? And actually, growing up, I have experienced that amongst other discriminations that you know, uh, I, my identity lends itself to. Mm. Um, so you know, for 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 a teacher to pick the right literature to inspire their students, I think. You've got a powerful position. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, Mrs. Thomas, if you're listening, um, I know you follow me on social media, um, she, she's been one of my biggest inspirations because she introduced this fact. And she, she in an indirect way, brought to our attention that it's not a fair world without saying, you're a woman, you won't actually ever be able to equate to what a man is. She, she brought it in, in such a sensitive and productive way. That actually, I'll never forget that. That's so interesting
1: because you wouldn't think that would be inspiring, right? You would think that would be limiting, and yet by being honest, well, it goes
0: two ways, doesn't it? Sometimes, yeah. sometimes it, it devastates. It devastates young people when they're when they're told, you know, that you will never be as equal as your counterparts. Mm. Um, you will struggle, or it makes it makes individuals more determined. And I think for me, it definitely made me more determined. Um, I definitely feel like I always have to try harder than my male counterparts in for jobs and, and for positions within um, our job settings. But I think from an early age, I learnt to fight that and learnt to be better.
1: And it's interesting that she said that in the past tense when, in the time you were in school, J.K. Rowling was also publishing and were deliberately like, gender-neutral yeah. names. It was her publishers who told her to publish mm-hmm. as J.K. Rowling because they wanted a... Board, um, a young male audience, mm. and the presumption is that girls will read boy books because boy stuff is neutral, but boys won't read girl books because, as we see in this film, boys are terrified of doing anything that is seen as feminine or effeminate, right? Mm. Um, so but then her
0: main character could have easily been a girl Why? Harry I mean Hermione
1: is the main character for Harry Potter let's be real Harry would have died like 10 <laughs> times without Hermione let's be but honest Hermione is the protagonist
0: Hermione Granger and the no, and if she home, had she'd she she?
1: have sold less copies she would have exactly. that's the sad truth exactly. of it I think that's less true now you know you have the Hunger Games yeah. you know which is you, that's, there's definitely some kind of progression mm. um, but even in the 90s, there was still that
0: expectation. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say this out loud. Things aren't perfect. They are not perfect. We are nowhere near as equal as we should be. But they, they are better than when we were growing up. And I guess I didn't realise that until recently. Just how much discrimination uh, for gender, for race, uh, for sexuality, all of those things, how une- unequal things were in the 90s. I guess you live in a bubble when you're a student. But being a teacher has opened up my eyes to so many possibilities that I can't believe our teachers chose to ignore. And I don't know if that was because we were in single-sex schools. Do you think it was? I definitely think sexuality was something that they... they...
1: Well, don't forget though, we went to school during Section 28 times, so they couldn't have discussed sexuality. This is true. So I think it's uh, hopefully different now in the... And it's something I think about Something like, we didn't even rethink about that right? because Section 28 was literally our education, right? It was 1988, I think, till 2004, maybe, okay. that if a teacher, their teacher couldn't mention anything to do with being gay or anything other than straight because it was seen as promotion at all. Yeah. So if they saw homophobic bullying, they couldn't step
0: in, for example. And I think um, we, we grew up, we grew up with language such as, oh, don't do that, it's gay, kind of thing. You know?
1: Yeah, which I'm sure is still around.
0: It's still around, because yeah. I, I definitely have to discipline students who use that terminology in in that sense um but certainly like it was normalized wasn't it and Mm -hmm. you know i certainly remember in our group of friends people would use it regularly as to you know as an insult or in a derogatory term um so you know i i do feel like i I didn't realize just how hard it was when we were younger for Mm -hmm. for people who are older than us in those different settings.
1: Mm. And I think it still is difficult. I think it's... there's it, it's Things have improved, but I don't think we should think we're now in some kind of some kind of utopia. Oh, no. Arousal. Like I
0: said, it's nowhere near where it needs to be, but mm. it is a lot better.
1: Yeah. The other thing I just want to touch on, I don't want to keep banging on about it, It's Knox it's Knox Overstreet, which is, I mean, a great name. The Chris Obsessive. He also does this thing where he completely humiliates her by reading a poem he's read to her in front of all of her peers, in which he says, to touch her would be paradise. I mean... That's gross. I'm sorry. And again, this is where had had his teacher, I think his teacher was in a perfect position here to kind of, if, if a kid had read this to me and said, I'd written this about a girl that I'm really interested in, I think a way that he could have turned that around would be I want you to write a poem from her perspective because he doesn't think about the fact that this is very humiliating for her and that he's just writing a poem literally that objectifies her and talks about how he wants to touch her when he's just humiliated her by touching her while she was asleep. Right? Mm. Like I thought, like there's a lot of intervention needed here in these yeah. boys and their attitudes. But women.
0: I also think that he 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 just feels like he's justifying his actions through his poetry. Mm. Um, and it's almost like, you misunderstood what, what I was trying to do last time we, we met. This is actually what I was trying to do. Yeah, I don't
1: know. Frust- I think that whole plot really frustrated me. I do think it dates the film because I just wanted Chris to push against him more. Yeah. And she kind of acquiesces and I didn't like that. Mm. Um However, I did quite like. So, we should probably talk about Neil, who's the one who wants to be an actor. Yeah. And I thought it was actually so he's quite. Like one of the main kids. Yeah. And I thought it was quite right. sweet that he wants to be an actor, and all his friends are actually quite supportive of him. So, he performs in Midsummer Night's Dream in something that could be, you know, seen as a bit laughable or a bit silly. But his friends are really supportive of him. They all go mm-hmm. and see him. But then, I mean, we have this. This is where the film takes a bit of a turn. So, he performs in this Shakespeare play. Um, his dad.
0: So, just the lead up to the Shakespeare play, mm-hmm. um, he. He starts to rehearse. for the Well, no, at the beginning of the film, his dad's made it very clear he's not to take part in anything that's related to yes. anything. Yes, so
1: his dad's super against any kind of creative yeah. endeavour. And
0: his friends are like, why are you going to listen to him? Do what you want, man. And then he retaliates and says, well, actually, all of you do exactly as your parents say. Um, and if you were in my shoes, you would do exactly as your parents say as well. So don't try and tell me what I should and shouldn't do and I think he's got a point there because actually it is harder it is easier to give advice than to follow it yeah and and each one of those boys would have probably been in a situation where they were doing more stuff to please their their parents as opposed to doing it for themselves Mm -hmm. and following their own dreams I think at that age it's very hard isn't it to know exactly what you want to do and and where your future lies and we do rely on the guidance of our parents and most most people would say that I was guided by my parents into this path.
1: Yeah, and parental pressure is really strong in this film, right? Like, mm. There's a real sense of pressing weight on these kids yeah. that they can't fail, they can't fuck up their education, yeah. they're going to go to a university, they're mm. going to get certain professions, and their lives that, are already mapped that, out.
0: I think that, that we can re- relate to because mm. I think at our schools, very few students didn't go to university. Mm-hmm. Most of them went to university and are now in professional careers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I, I, I certainly felt like I could resonate with them, with the characters when it came to that. You, you do get to meet the parents of each one of these characters, uh, of, of the boys, um, and they are quite strict, aren't they, And mm-hmm. that they're very much like uh, high high society and and you know this our isn't... our children would depict our status yeah. by by going on to this study is post war
1: america isn't it and it's pre like sexual revolution it's pre the summer of love it's like america at its most conformist right in that mm. like post war window mm. uh, where it was very prosperous but the the culture was very suburban and very conformist, right? It feels, it feels, and it feels like school is a place where conformity is very rigidly enforced, right? In terms of gender norms, in terms of what they're going to do, in terms of their aspirations, mm. it feels, it feels like a very oppressive place. Even though these on paper are extremely privileged boys who are going to go on to great things, it feels like they they don't have any other choice than what's already been mapped out for them. That reader's mm. going across quite strongly, and yeah. that's what we're going to see again and again: is like school as a place of rigidly enforced social expectations hmm. and that's where and that one teacher out. who
0: doesn't follow it yeah right? and then that, and that's what <laughs>
1: teaching is teaching should be disrupting all that Yeah,
0: disrupting all that breaking the norms it's so and going against your parents wishes yeah and, and they're not taking any responsibility for it
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like it's so interesting is it because we the like films constantly ideal idealize this idea of the teacher as a disruptive figure who says fuck you to society and gets kids to question everything but Actually, does our society actually want us to do that? Because it really doesn't feel like it. Well, certainly Offset doesn't want us to do <laughs> exactly. it. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, so when Neil, when Neil's parent, dad specifically tells him not to do this, he, he does spend most of the year not trying to avoid it. Obviously, Dead Poets Society... Relights really that fire in him, doesn't he? He leads it. He, so he reads all these poems out with such, you know, vigour and conviction and he's, he's totally in love with it. And then he gets this opportunity to be in Midsummer's Night Dream. Um, and he he he's in two minds, isn't he? And Robin Williams becomes that teacher, very much like Sister Mary Clarence was for, for Rita. Yeah. Robin Williams becomes that teacher who then says, do you know what? Carpe diem, you've got to do this. Robin Williams tries to reason with Dad. Dad is furious with him, um, tells him that he knows how to raise his son and all of this kind of usual, usual dialogue. Um, and then um, you know, Neil still decides to oppose his father, um, and goes ahead and goes to the performance, even though he was told oh no, sorry. He he decides to drop out. Robin Williams goes and speaks to his father, um and it goes, it backfires. And then Neil goes and speaks to his father again and says, This is really something I want to do, which I think is really, really brave. Yes, Teenagers it is. being able yeah. to approach their parents, even though they've said repeatedly not to do something. Dad allows him to go and perform. Dad actually turns up to watch the performance. And in the film, it looks like Dad's impressed. Before we, we, we talk about the response to it, the kids go to watch his play. Uh huh by getting into the teacher's car, into Robin Williams' car. I didn't notice that. So, in this day and age, massive Uh no-no, okay? Big safeguarding bells ringing. Oh, my God, these kids have got into this teacher's car, and it's not even like an approved field trip, right? Uh I just cringe so much in that scene, watching them getting into that car with with, with him and uh, going to the event. It was very much like a group of friends going out on a night out, rather than... A teacher and their student i don't think our rules now are are extreme in, in, as far as the matter goes mm-hmm. but uh it, it certainly shows how carefree and easygoing it might have been in the past so with neil then um he his dad's turned up and actually after watching it he drags him out of the state uh, the theater doesn't he and uh he takes him home this then-
1: whole sequence i feel like what uncomfortable, like, wasn't it? it was very haunting. I wasn't yeah. expecting. It. I think it's the best piece of filmmaking. It's quite beautifully done. Yeah. But it's it's genuinely quite upsetting. I thought.
0: Well, you you kind of think all he's going to do is going to take him home and he's going to give him a telling off. But he takes him home. He tells him that he's under no circumstances to do acting ever again. Um, and then everyone goes to bed as you do. And he has a dream that Neil has shot himself. Yeah. But actually, it's reality and Neil has shot himself and he is dead.
1: Yeah. So, and the whole thing's kind of almost like a silent film, right? There's not a lot of dialogue. He wakes up, he goes down, he finds him. You do not see any blood or body or anything, but it's very evocative. And so the whole aspect of the film is is really quite downbeat, right? So Mm. obviously all his friends are devastated. And then the school very quickly tries to place blame, right? And the blame goes to the Dead Poet Society, and specifically to the teacher.
0: So Charlie wrote an article in the school newspaper about the Dead Poet Society, but he wrote it in a um, anonymous name. And so the school was already investigating who were in the Dead Poet Society, um, because he explicitly wrote about all of their antics and what they'd been doing. Um, and this is why where he actually got beat up by the teachers to be able to get the names, but he never spoke. But there was one student who obviously was worried about his grades, worried about, you know, his future, and he he named them all, didn't he?
1: Yeah. Um, So because of that article, they are able then to assign blame and the administration kind of bring the boys in one by one, right, and get them essentially to agree that this teacher, Mr Keating, was the reason why this happened Mm -hmm. and to assign blame, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where... I guess it's the payoff of Todd's development, isn't it? Because he does he sign he does he sign it or does he refuse to sign? I can't quite remember how this goes, plays out now.
0: It wasn't it wasn't the sign, was it? It was um, it was once he'd been dismissed mm-hmm. and they'd gone to the classroom to dismiss him,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, dismiss uh, Mr. Keating, the kids one at a time get on the table and they do the whole "Oh and, my captain, my oh, captain."
1: I feel like you you definitely don't blame the kids for giving him right. They're under so much pressure. They're only kids, and they're basically told you know. You need to blame this person. We need to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And so they, they place blame on this supposedly disruptive teacher. He's sacked from the school. And although he leaves because the kids kind of acknowledge that it's unfair, it's seen as still kind of a victory, right? Mm. But it's interesting that it's still that the end of the film is the status quo is maintained, Right although he was this disruptive teacher who opened up their eyes, there's still no place in this institution, right? There's no space for his form of teaching. And so he has to be expelled from this place. So it's like, even though the film shows that that all these boys are actually quite unhappy with how conformist their culture is and having to um, go along with the desires of their parents there's still no opportunity for resistance other than killing yourself, <laughs> presided in the film, which I think mm-hmm. is quite interesting. You really get a sense of how stultifying this culture is mm-hmm. that even someone who can open your eyes to an alternative still essentially is going to to lose. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so so it's a much more there's no victory here really. It's kind of theoric, I think. Mm-hmm. Did Absolutely. You see, there's no a lose lose situation. Yeah. Right? Um so I think I guess it's a film that can very much and I think it's important to think it's a film in the '80s, about the '50s in a way, right? And it's about American culture being so stifling and formless. Because I feel like he's almost—he's a teacher ahead of his time, right? He's a teacher of the '70s. He's a looser, more liberal, more open-minded kind of a teaching style. That like, there is no place for here, but you kind of know as an audience in the modern day that hope that he, there'll be a space for him in the future, right? Mm. Um, overall, then, how would we grade his teaching if we were doing our Ofsted inspection? Because I have to be honest, I wouldn't grade him as outstanding.
0: Oh, no, he certainly wasn't outstanding. Um, again, measuring on students' progress made, I think they were already well-established.
1: I mean, yeah, these are kids who already seem to know quite a lot.
0: Yeah, exactly. So how much of what he taught was the reason why they were so good at poetry? They may have already had a decent sound knowledge of it.
1: Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of learning. I mean, you said that, like, you struggle with this film in terms of discussing teaching, right? Because there, there's a lot of what appears to be dynamic teaching but actually there's no substance whatsoever to what he's doing there's a lot of you know tear the pages out and let's go down the corridor and let's play football and let's do this and and lots of like seemingly exciting activities that are very empty Mm -hmm. there's no real learning Mm -hmm. and I feel like if you sat Mr Keating down and asked him what did the kids learn this lesson I feel like he'd give you some wanky answer about it. They've learned, <laughs> they've learned to be free, man. You know, like it's it's very idea, that that. man. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, so what he was teaching is very close to what you teach, and uh-huh. from I, I guess you're in a better place to judge this particular lesson. Uh, that you know this. this well, I thought like there's
1: missed opportunity. So there's a bit. Isn't there a bit where he gets them to march on B, right? Yeah. And that's a that's actually a really good way to teach rhythm. But it just feels like he just does it because it's sort of a laugh. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, there's yeah. no, I mean, maybe we're not seeing that in the film. It could be generous to him, but it just feels like a lot of exciting activities because they're so bored in their other lessons, yeah. which is why they like him, but they're not, it doesn't really feel like they're learning anything.
0: Yeah, I feel I feel like if you were John Keating in today's day and age, you probably need a really good union representation. Um,
1: <laughs> what a read, what a slow-key read. Do you know,
0: just because like, if you're going to be that creative, that's going to lead to a kid having committed suicide. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I honestly don't place any blame on him because at the end of the day, he he killed himself because of parental pressure. Um, but they managed to twist it to look like it was his fault. Mm-hmm. Like I said, make sure having good union representation and and. Uh, A good lawyer probably wouldn't. I think wouldn't have led to it going as far as it did. What that
1: does throw up is, I think, in horrible situations, it's a very human thing to try and want to attribute blame, isn't it? And to try and find somebody to blame because that makes the incomprehensible a kid killing themselves, you know, before they've even seen anything of life, Hmm. something that makes no sense and is. Impossible to deal with. It's a way of making that safe and understandable, isn't it? And mm. you can't actually do that with something like suicide, right? It's it's not something you can really make sense of necessarily. Mm. So it's it's a way to make this safe and comfortable, and so expunge it, expunge its disruptiveness, right? Mm. And the fact that it's it's almost like a political gesture of his, yeah. right? That it, he's he do, he wants nothing to do with the society that he's been born into and the life that he's supposed to have. And so it's safe to then just blame it on the teacher mm. who, who put him up to it, which I do think is a very human thing. Yeah. And it throws up that actually trying to attribute blame is not necessary is, is actually rarely a useful thing to do. Yeah. Right? It feels comfortable in the moment because it distances it distances his parents from their own culpability for one, doesn't it? Mm. It makes them, it, it helps them to feel that they have had no responsibility in this one. Actually, the truth is they are complicit as well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I, th- I think if we if we were to rate him, he's got good rapport with the students. He, yeah. He does give them feedback. And he does as, know his subject, we presume.
1: Yeah. He does seem to have, you know, he can reel off Byron, he can reel yeah. off other stuff. Yeah, he, he's got uh, good
0: sound subject knowledge. He's, uh, I would he say gives he's, them feedback. His
1: subject, I would say the, the the poetry that he uses is limited, but I think, again, it's the 50s, so it's very canon, yeah. very, you know, romantic, as Percy as well, Shirley, it? all of that kind of yeah. stuff. So, you know, does that what were are going to say sorry in terms of I just feedback? think
0: requires improvement for me requires improvement yeah. I think is fair uh, mm. he's, he's no no Deloitte's yeah. yeah.
1: unfortunately he's going and requires improvement for his teachers yeah
0: and maybe he did deserve, deserve to be sacked not particularly for his particular <laughs> wow. reasons wow he deserved uh, to be
1: sacked well he, I first, think of, he
0: used, well, first he, of all he, he would have if in modern day times he would have re- received the right support and he would have been put on a very strategic support plan with the right amount of I mean, I the, mean teaching and learning assistant head would probably earn their money with someone like
1: him. Yeah. And to be fair, we can see in the rest of the school, the teaching's crap, it seems, right? The teacher's not yeah. great. And he's at least trying to do something different and going out on a limb. But I feel like he's someone who needs to have read some pedagogy, right? And understand. This is the thing that it took me a long time to understand is that what you have to always think about what our kids are actually learning. If yeah. there's no learning happening, what is the point of what you're doing? And I think exactly. English is a subject where you can be particularly susceptible to like flashiness and like fun stuff. Oh, no, trust me.
0: something Like we yeah. talked about in <laughs> the was, last podcast, science is just as uh, susceptible to such a uh-huh. uh, madness and craziness and something that seems like a really good idea because you've seen it on Twitter isn't necessarily always a good idea sorry to all those creative people out there that end up inspiring me to do something useless (laughs) Um, I
1: like that is that how we're going to end don't always trust Twitter ideas
0: (laughs) (laughs) please don't unfollow us we need you (laughs)
1: Thank you so much for listening to us at Film Class today. We really hope you've enjoyed the podcast as much as we've enjoyed recording it. Get in touch with us on your thoughts and opinions about all the films that we discuss. We love to hear from you. You can get a hold of us at filmclasspod at gmail.com. That's our email. Or you can also find us at Film Class Pod at Twitter and on Instagram. So follow us like us and ask us any questions if you'd like us to watch any other films set in schools or involve teachers or education let us know give us your suggestions we'd love to hear them and we'll be happy to accommodate we also need to give a shout out to kevin mcleod for our fantastic theme music night in venice you can find all of kevin's work his website in and the license at creativecommons.org